It is good to be back. It's good to see each of you this evening. Again, I would like to to say I appreciate all the prayers that were uh, given on my behalf while I was gone. I appreciate the men who were able to uh, fill the pulpit in the classrooms for me while I was out. I appreciate that. That's not an easy task. That's kind of a short notice thing, and you have to come up with a with a different class schedule and or a material, and and so that's difficult. And I appreciate uh, the men being able to do that. If you would, please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're going to notice verses 3 through 8. 3 through 8. In his letter to the preacher, Paul says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. When it comes to the Christian faith, I believe there are a few things as misunderstood as God's grace. Some think of God's grace as if it were an afterthought, so to speak. Something that God has thrown in after we have done our best, obeyed Him to the best of our ability, and then He ushers in grace. Others think of it as sort of a a magic potion that God uses when we've done all that we can do and we just can't seem to, to be any better at what we're doing, and then He allows His grace to cover us though we continue to make poor choices in this life. Well, even among New Testament Christians, grace can be a a misunderstood thing. It can be difficult to to grasp uh, wholly and to completely understand, but we can do that. It takes a little study, but we can understand that grace is the foundation for the salvation of mankind. Without grace, there is no salvation. And it is grace that allows the process to begin whereby we are able to stand righteous before God. Be able to stand before Him in His presence without sin hanging over us. Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Without the grace of God, faith would not do any of us any good, would it? We first must have God's grace. Our faith allows us to be able to access that grace, but we have grace first. We have to understand about grace. God had to first 
want to save mankind, didn't He? He didn't have to offer salvation to us. Grace is simply the first ingredient in salvation. And second of all, man had to want to be saved. We have to desire to be saved. Now there are many in the religious world that would have us to believe that we're saved whether we want to be saved or not. A a portion of the people who God has chosen. But as we look at the things that Paul says in the Bible and the other inspired writers, we see that can't be the case. Grace is the beginning point, but it cannot save us alone. We have to have something else. We have to want to be saved. That's a second ingredient in uh, reaching God's salvation. Now let's remember, Paul told Titus, grace was a gift of God given to mankind because if it were not a free gift, he said, we'd brag about that, wouldn't we? We would be boastful that in some way we had saved ourselves. And that's not the case at all. So, when we, when we look at this idea of grace and works, what we have to understand is that Paul is talking about works of men. Works of men. He's not talking about works of God. He said God's grace saves us through faith, not a work of man. It's a work of God. So we have to be able to understand the difference between works of men and works of God. How can we determine what's a work of man? Something that we try to do on our own, to try to make uh, earn our way into heaven, which cannot happen. And what is a work of God? Well, it's where it originates, right? It's where it originates. If it originates in God, if it's something that comes from Him, if it's something that He requires out of each of us to do or to continually do, then we understand that's a work of God. If it's something that uh, we come up with our uh, on our own, then obviously it's going to be a work of man. God has asked each of us to perform certain works in order to access His grace, in order to be able to gain salvation. Notice John six twenty eight. John six twenty eight. On one occasion, the Lord was asked, "How can I work the works of God? What shall we do that we might work the works of God?" That was a question given to him in that verse. Notice the next following verse. He responded to that question by saying, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. That doesn't sound really like a work in our minds, does it? According to the world, a, 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 a faith in God, they say is not a work. Because we can't work our way to heaven. Well, we're not working our way to heaven. We are simply performing godly works. Faith is a work. Faith is a work. Paul said in the introduction to his first letter to the Thessalonians, let's notice that, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, as he is uh, making his greeting in that beginning of that letter, he says, remembering without ceasing, your work of faith, talking to the Thessalonians, and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Faith is a work, but it's a godly work. It originates in God, does not originate in man, and without that work we cannot be saved. That's what the writer of Hebrews said, wasn't it? Hebrews eleven six. For without faith it is impossible to please Him. Paul called it a work. 
Jesus called it a work. We might be able to restate that and say, without the work of faith, it is impossible to please Him. Because that's the scriptural kind of faith, isn't it? A mental assent that Jesus is who He said He was, or the fact that there is a God in heaven is not the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10. He's talking about a working faith. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11, don't we? The, the uh, often referred to as the Hall of Fame of faith, of those great people of the, of the uh, past. The, their faith, each case they demonstrated a work. They did something. They did a work of God because God asked them to do that. There's not enough work of men in the world to get one single person to heaven. But fortunately for us, we do not have to worry about that because we get to heaven on the work of God. We just simply have to perform that work. The plan of salvation consists of God's works, doesn't it? Notice the the way that we gain salvation. We need to be able to relay this to people when they say, oh, you know, uh, one of the first things that we're going to hear is baptism is a work. You can't work your way to heaven. Well, let's notice the plan of salvation and, and whether it's a godly work or not. We already talked about uh, faith being a working faith, Hebrews eleven six, and you have to have it in order to please God. That's a work. A desire to repent and turn to God is a work. Notice what Paul said as he stood before King Agrippa, Acts 26, verses 19 through 20. He was relaying the account of when he uh, was when he first met Jesus, and and then he later on obeyed the gospel in Damascus. He said, "Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision." See, we see that word obedience or disobedient. It entails either doing something or not doing something. He goes on to say, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance or do works that demonstrate repentance. We can say I'm sorry all day long, can't we? But if we continually do those things of which we are apologizing, we're not really sorry. See, we have to bring forth works worthy of repentance. Confessing with the mouth is a work that God has asked us to do, Romans 10.10. And purposely choosing to submit to water baptism, walking down into that water, it's a work. But it's a work of God. And that is where we are. Uh, we come into contact with God's blood and it washes away our sins, Acts 22.16. So we have to understand works and where they originate. All those works of God are required if if one is going to be added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, verse 47. But see, in our passage this evening, in Titus chapter 3, we understand that the works do not stop. That's not where it stops. Really, that's just where it begins, right? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Paul admonished the readers in Corinth to uh, be unmovable, be steadfast, always abounding. In the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, And so we understand that work be, uh, continues. And Paul told Titus to continue good works. Always do those. So when we think of this idea of grace, it truly is a free gift, but it is a free gift with conditions, right? God gives it to us freely. Nothing we can do to earn it. 
but He requires something out of us. And without grace there is no salvation. So for just a few moments, let's investigate just a little further this idea of grace and come to a, maybe a better understanding. If we're going to understand the human condition, we first must look at His condition, right? Let's notice the condition of man that caused God's grace to be extended to us. That's our first point. We were in a serious condition, spiritually speaking, right? We were dead in sin. That was the problem. Paul said, Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He continued that thought, Ephesians 2 verse 5, Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. We were dead in sin, that was our condition. God made us alive again and He did it by grace. Death is a serious condition, isn't it? When we talk about spiritual death, it's not just a serious condition, it's a terminal condition and it's very ugly. We have to be very aware of what spiritual death does for us. When we talk to many in the religious world, it is at this point, it seems like they get off track from what the Bible says. Many people think that once grace has been attained, once God's grace covers us, then we are finished with what we are doing. That we're okay, right? Well, that, that's not the case. We know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And Paul himself in Titus 3.3 admitted in our passage that in times past we were engaged in sinful activity. So once we uh, are accepting of God's grace and we do those things necessary, we still have to move forward. We have to be able to continually move out of that past life, right? Anytime we try to break a, a, a habit or we try to learn something new, it's a continual practice process, isn't it? It's hard and very seldom are any of us able to pick something up and immediately be very proficient at it. We have to practice that and we have to study that. Coming out of a life that is not in accordance with God's will is the same thing. We have to continually work at that. We have to keep moving ahead. And that's what Paul's talking about in this passage. He tells Titus, you keep performing those good works. If we understand that our condition is that we're dead in sin, that brings with it the idea of what we really deserved, right? What did we deserve? We deserved punishment. We deserved death. And that's what Paul stated in Romans 6.23, very clear about the wages of sin is death. He goes on to say, but, the, but life is, grace is a gift of God, right? All deserve death because God has put forth conditions by which we ought to live. And if we violate those conditions, and then of course He is going to punish us for that. Any person who has not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be the target or the object of God's wrath. Now we also have to understand, not only those who have never obeyed the gospel, but also those who have obeyed the gospel, yet they have gone back into sin. Because we have to continually perform these godly works. Notice Ephesians 5 verse 6. Ephesians 5 verse 6. Paul declared, he said, Let no man deceive you with vain words. 
For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. I want us to notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I was uh, a year ago getting ready to go to northeast India and I stopped in at a, at a Best Buy in Memphis and was get, uh, buying some things and there was a brother that worked in there and I would often stop in and speak with him. And so I was telling him about my trip that was upcoming and, and we were talking about spreading the gospel and doing it through a mission work like that. And he made the statement to me that <clears throat> people who have never heard the gospel are not going to stand in judgment or have anything required of them. I said, brother, that's not exactly what the Bible teaches. We have to, whether whether we have ever heard about Jesus or not, we are still obligated to be obedient to Him. We're obligated to find out what He wants. Notice what Paul told the Thessalonians. Beginning with verse 6, he says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do not know God, He didn't say except those who have not been introduced to God. He simply said those who do not know God and those who do not obey Jesus Christ. So that puts a lot of pressure on faithful Christians, doesn't it? That puts a lot of pressure on us to extend that knowledge to other people because we deserved death. But that's the whole idea of grace, right? Unmerited favor. God demonstrated His love in that He sent His only begotten Son while we were even still sinners. The writer of Hebrews stated that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10.31. There's a reason for that. Because we're not being obedient. We're not allowing God's grace to cover us. The wrath of God is kindled against every person who practices sin. That's the reason Adam and Eve lost their position in the garden, wasn't it? And even those sins that we've hidden from others in our lives, we haven't hidden them from God. We deserve death. We understand that was our condition. Our second point is going to be, though, that God offered comfort to those who would accept it. We're talking about grace, right? And we can receive comfort if we will accept His grace. We required mercy. God, in order to save man, had to extend mercy because that's what He wanted to do if we were going to be saved if we were going to overcome the sins of the world. Notice again what Paul told Titus in uh, verse 5 of our chapter. Titus 3, verse 5. He says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The thing about sin is once we sin, the penalty is death. Now we talked this morning about how Jesus our being our mediator, stood in for us. He accepted the penalty of death. But the point is, once sin is committed, the penalty is death, period, whether we do anything else or not. All we ever had to do was sin one time. 
and then the penalty would be death. But because of God's great grace and His great love for us, He sent His Son so that we could be comforted. And it's not by our works, Paul says. We sin one time, penalty is death. It doesn't matter how many good things we do in this life afterward. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says it. we can't be good enough. Now, does that mean we're not required to perform godly works? Absolutely not. God still requires that, but He says, in order to access my grace, you have to perform these commandments that I have given. Prior to the incarnation of the Word in the form of Jesus Christ, the law of Moses was given to mankind. Now, what was the purpose of the law of Moses? When we look in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we understand that the law of Moses was not given so that we could be saved. It was never designed to save anyone. It was simply designed to demonstrate the magnitude of sin on the world. The thing that sin does to all people, how bad sin is when we transgress God's laws. It showed us that we required a way out of sin. Now that doesn't mean that under the old law that those people were not obligated to be obedient to it. It was a process by which they could be obedient and they could stand justified in the sight of God, but it still took the cross of Jesus Christ and His blood to cleanse their sins also. It prepared, right? It was a preparation. We have to understand how bad sin is before we can accept the grace of God in the form of Jesus Christ. And so we required a way out, and that's what we received. That's what God gave to us. Paul said to the Roman brethren, notice Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. He says, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption..." that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, those who are dead in sin now have an opportunity to gain life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of being objects of wrath, we can become something else. Those who obey the gospel, uh, Peter made one of the most beautiful statements. Let's notice that, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Those who have obeyed the gospel, Peter said, are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We come out of darkness into light. I can remember growing up, I was a little bit afraid of the dark. I didn't like having to to go outside at night. I didn't like having to walk down that hallway into my bedroom. And at the time when I was growing up, it seemed like that hallway was as long as this building. And it took forever to get to that light switch. Well, in reality, it wasn't very long. But I was afraid of the dark. I didn't like being in the dark. And boy, when I turned that light switch on... That was one of the greatest things, wasn't it? You come out of darkness into light. I remember one time uh, listening, uh, watching an interview of Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight champion of the world. And of course, he was bragging on his speed. He said, I am so fast, I can turn the light off and be in bed before it gets dark. Let me tell you something. That's not possible because I tried that. 
I'd hit that light and I'd try my best to be in bed before it got dark because I didn't like darkness. See, that's what makes light so good. God has given us that light. And those who have obeyed the gospel, who have come out of darkness into light, gives us a clear conscience. Isn't that worth a lot in this world, a clear conscience? Have you ever been guilty? Have you ever felt guilty? That just wears on you, doesn't it? You have to be able to unload that burden. Notice what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, verse 20. Comparing the salvation of Noah and his family to baptism, Peter said the like figure, or a similar example, wherein to even baptism does also now save us. He says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we come out of darkness, we have those sins washed off from our from ourselves. We have a clear conscience, a good conscience. Well, that's worth all the money in the world, isn't it? To have a clear conscience. That's just one of the benefits of salvation. Adds us to the Lord's church. Washes our sins away. Puts us into His body. Gives us a clear conscience. Now, if we return to a life of sin, we not only lose our salvation, we lose our clear conscience. But that's by design, isn't it? A properly trained conscience, God uses that for us to understand that every day that we live in this world where we have left God, or whether we have not obeyed the gospel, yet we, we've come to the knowledge of the truth, we understand that we are lost. That's by design, isn't it? When one is faithful, John said that we can know that we have eternal life, 1 John five thirteen. Now we can't use our conscience as our guide unless it is properly trained. But a properly trained conscience can help us be guided through this life. Now it is through the comfort of God that we receive the crown of life. We've noticed the condition. We've noticed that we receive comfort from God. Now this is our final point. We can receive the crown of life when we accept God's grace. Now, we don't stop there, right? We have to understand. We still have an obligation once we are faithful and obedient to God. For that to happen, for us to receive this crown, we have to continually live and continually walk in the light. Some might stop after receiving the grace of God. I've studied with people. I have uh, helped them come to the knowledge of the Lord, just as, as you have. And they obey the gospel, and then you don't see them anymore. They're just gone. You never see them at services. I can recall uh, a few years back, there was a young couple came to Cordova, and, and the, the lady, the young girl, she was, uh, she was a Christian, and she wasn't very faithful. I don't know where she was a member, but from time to time, we would see her at Cordova, and she was engaged to this young man. She had enough uh, spirituality about her to understand that her husband needed to be a Christian. And so she asked me if I would study with him. I said, yes. I said, but we need to all study together. I said, because I think you need to be involved in a Bible study also. So we did that. The young man obeyed the gospel. And so then we talked about being faithful to God and what that meant and how we demonstrated our faithfulness and how we lived faithfully.
And it's as if it went in one ear and right out the other. I think I saw them twice over the course of about a three-year period. They believe that once grace has been attained, that we're done. Well, that's not the case, right? Let's go back to First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians one, right? The wrath of Jesus is brought against those who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we obey the God? We, we never stop obeying the gospel, do we? Not if we want the crown. We have to reach where God wants us to reach. We have to be where God wants us to be. And we have to fulfill our obligations. If anyone ever tells us that there is no obligation on the part of the New Testament Christian, we better run away from them as fast as we can. Because we'll lose our souls if we listen to that. There's a great obligation and it becomes a little clearer to us when we begin to look at exactly what grace is, the fact that it is undeserved mercy, that it is brought to us because of the love of God. We need to see that there are things we have to do to continually have that, to obtain it and to keep it. That's what we have to do. The simple truth is, how do we obtain spiritual life? We have to pass from death into life. We have to pass from darkness into light. How do we do that? Well, we do it through uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. The brethren in Rome, they had a great misunderstanding of God's grace. They knew, they understood that God's grace was given to us or uh, demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ and that we have the opportunity to obtain it because of sin. They understood that. Sin came into the world. We engage in sinfulness, therefore we need God's grace, His unmerited favor, His unmerited mercy, in order to be able to be saved. So they had that. They understood that. Now here's where they made the misunderstanding. The more I sin, the more grace I receive. That's not right, is it? That's not right at all. Romans 6, first two verses, we see that that was what they thought. We abound in sin that grace may prevail. What did Peter, or Paul say? Verse 2, God forbid. He said, know ye not. Then he asked them a question. He said, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. If we are going to obtain, we're going to meet our obligations. We come up out of the, the watery grave of baptism. We are in a new life and we have to walk in that new life. We don't sin more so we get more grace. That just doesn't make sense, does it? He said we're dead to sin. What do we do when we bury someone? We bury them because they have passed from this life. They're not with us any longer. So that's the example. When we bury the old person that we used to be in baptism, we come up, we're a new person. So we want to live that way. We want to walk that way. I think that it's very clear to us that Paul does not consider the final step of initial salvation, baptism, to be the end. I think it's very clear to us as we study this idea of grace, that if we're going to remain in the grace of God, we have to meet our obligations. 
we have to do those things that He has asked us to do. When we look at Genesis chapter 6, and we see that Noah found grace in the eyes of God, it isn't until after that that he built the ark, right? It wasn't that he found grace in the eyes of God and he said, okay, everything will be fine, let the flood come. That's not what happened. He continually met the obligations that God set forth. And that's what we have to do as Christians. When we truly understand what grace is and how we access it and how we keep it and how we stay in the grace of God, we see that there's a lot of work that we have to do, but they're works of God. We have to live in in a way that that God wants us to live. God's grace is a life-changing gift, if we allow it to be. It can be experienced by accepting the free gift of spiritual life through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our initial acceptance of of grace, and we do that through the, uh, the plan of salvation that we talked about, those godly works. But sometimes we have to reaccess it, don't we? Sometimes we, we leave God and we live in sin and we go from being a Christian back to being a sinner. We talked in class this morning, Christians are not sinners. I've heard that uh, several times and it, it hurts me to hear that. To hear someone say, well, we're all just sinners. If that's the case, we have a big problem. We're not sinners. We, we walk in the light. We live in God's grace. And on occasion... We stumble, we make a mistake, we sin, we recognize it, we repent, we confess in whatever way we need to, and we reaccess the blood of Jesus and it continually cleanses us. 1 John 1 verse 7. But we are not sinners. We are saved. We are Christians. We do not live in sin. We do not practice sin. See, that's what God wants us to understand. And that's what His grace does for us. Gives us the opportunity to walk in the light and to not practice sin. And when we do that, we gain heaven as our reward. If you've never tasted the grace of God initially, make sure that you do that today. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with our Lord. But sometimes we make mistakes and we and we slip up a little bit. And we need to come back before God's throne and we need to repent of any sin that may be in our lives, whether publicly or privately, Confess it in the proper way, whether publicly or privately, and allow God's grace to cover us. And that's what is so beautiful about His grace. We don't deserve it, but He loved us so much that He offered it to us anyway. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation at this hour, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.